Hi, it's Joe here with the Men Podcast, uh, brought to you by Red's Fly Shop. Um, before I get into it, i got to remind you, hey, follow this podcast. Share with a friend or two. I'm trying to bring you good information uh, every two weeks. And subscribe to our YouTube channel, Instagram, at uh, Red's Fly Shop. And follow us there so you can see what's happening day to day. But thanks for listening. So today, we're going to talk about boats. Uh, we're kind of in the off-season right now. It's... Uh, Late January, and I'm starting to dream about what my spring and summer uh, fishing is going to look like. Uh, in addition to to guiding, um, I'm starting to think about what adventures I want to do. My boys are getting bigger; uh, they're fishing maniacs, and uh, start thinking about how that looks going fishing together uh, over the next handful of years. Um, so I'm going to talk through boats today and give you some of the pros and cons of all sorts of different types of boats. Maybe you've already got a boat uh, and you're not using it enough, uh, or you bought the wrong boat, uh, or you're thinking about getting a boat, you just don't have any idea what to get. Well, I'm going to try to help with that today. So, uh, I probably, before I, I don't want to ramble on too much about my childhood and all that, but before I get into it, I kind of want to let you know where I come from uh, as far as fly fishing and boats go. Um, so I grew up doing almost exclusively when I was real young. Uh, we fished a lot of lakes and uh, it was about catching productivity. So my old man, uh, man, he was a he was a kokanee killer. Uh, we would troll for kokanee, uh, use a, in a lot of variations of pop gear and flashers, and uh, always trolling for kokanee uh, because they had Man, they're baby or they're landlocked salmon. Man, they taste great. Uh, we would smoke them, can them, you name it. It was a you know you know eat what you catch kind of fishery. So most of our boats were set up uh, as far as that goes for lake fishing and not a lot of you know no fly casting and not a lot of casting or cruising from the boat. So we never owned an electronic trolling motor. It was always uh, you know nine the old nine and a half Porsche Johnson. Uh, that if I remember right, it had a, a piece of cord for the choke uh, that started about 75% of the time uh, when we got to the lake. <laughs> uh, still remember my dad, We had a, it was a wooden boat that we fished out of primarily, and I still remember my dad refiberglassing it and, uh, and uh, in my grandma's garage and uh, refiberglassing it and fixing a big hole in the side. I don't know how it got all the way up there in the side. I think somebody crashed into it or crashed into a dock or something, put a hole in the side. My dad probably got it for free. Um, should probably ask him about the origin of that old wooden boat that we had, uh, which now, uh, that has been retired, uh, is a flower bed planter, uh, appropriately so. Uh, anyway, I didn't grow up fly fishing. Uh, I, when I became a teenager, uh, I was, became a real avid light tackle bass angler and, uh, bass fishing is by far done better in a boat and so uh when i became a teenager my brother-in-law uh kind of took me under his wing he's about four or five years older than me uh when he was dating my sister and uh we bass fished you know with light tackle spinning gear which is still love doing that today my boys are super into that uh i don't do much of it but it's it's pretty similar to fly fishing in the fact there's a lot of finesse and a lot of touch involved in throwing a light tackle uh, for bass. And we used to float in any kind of creation that we could possibly get into. Uh, we used these old 10-foot Livingston prams. Anything we could you know, beg, borrow, or steal to get, uh, we would float it and we'd put it in the back of his, you know, once he had a pickup, we'd put it in the back of his I think it was like an 85 uh, Chevy Cheyenne pickup with a long box so we could put a boat in the back of that thing. And we would hit all the local um, small acreage bass lakes. Like if we could find anything from 10 to ten to 30 acres, that was kind of our sweet spot. And we'd paddle that thing. Never even had a real proper set of oars. And uh, never really used trolling, you know, electronic trolling motors or anything. Because uh, that'd mean we'd need to own a battery and charge the battery, and we didn't have any of that. We just borrowed boats. So uh, I didn't grow up fly, fly fishing, but I used a lot of creativity to get into in, into the lakes and uh, and do a lot of that kind of bass fishing. Where I grew up, uh, we had a lot of good small water, uh, warm water bass fishing, and it was just fantastic. And uh, 
as I progressed, I, I started to fly fish uh, again with my brother-in-law, uh, kind of out of necessity for success, which I think is, a lot of people lose sight that fly fishing, I personally didn't start it or begin doing it because it was fun to cast or it looked cool or it was, you know, somehow a pure form of fishing. I started to do it because it was advantageous uh, in a and I would encourage you, if you're listening and taking any of this to heart, remember that fly fishing all began and, and was originated because it was an advantage over conventional tackle angling for presenting an insect imitation to a trout, uh, which is really almost impossible to do on conventional gear. So my brother-in-law and my, my dad, too, um, we started to hike into a lot of high mountain lakes. I grew up just uh, right on the fringe of Mount Rainier National Park. And uh, a lot of really good high altitude, high elevation lake fishing. And uh, we got into that and we could hike into these lakes. And of course, it was always raining, it seemed like. But we'd hike into these lakes and uh, we could stock the shores and we'd throw spinners and that worked well. But it seemed like a lot of the big fish in those lakes, I mean, they were, they, they was kind of, old hat to them. I mean, they've seen spinners, they've been hooked on spinners and the bigger fish, even at these hiking lakes were pretty mature and old and they'd kind of been there, done that. And, uh, but man, they would rise and they would feed on bugs on the surface and they would eat bugs. And, uh, and we used to keep and retain, you know, our limit of fish, you know, back then, uh, which I still do in a lot of the mountain lakes or put and take, uh, that's kind of the idea. So it's, you know, if you're if you're looking for opportunity to actually catch and keep fish, uh, you know, think about lakes. Uh, most rivers anymore are pretty well wild trout. There's not a lot of stocking going on, and it it it's all catch and release for these wild trout, which it should be. But a lot of the remote lakes, we'd cat you know catch and keep fish, and you know you do a stomach biopsy on these things, and of course they're just chock full of insects, right? Uh, and occasionally crayfish or a minnow, you know, like a sculpin or something like that, and some of the bigger fish. But we learn pretty quickly, like hey. We have got to get into fly fishing. And um, my first fly rod was a Shakespeare. Uh, it was literally bought at Kmart, uh, you know, with the whole the whole thing. It was like 30 bucks for, you know, rod realigned. Um, crummy tapered leader that had way too weak of a butt section. It would never turn over. But we, we knew out of necessity if we were going to catch these fish in these high lakes that we had to get into fly fishing. Of course, once we start fly fishing... Right. And then we've got issues of back cast, you know, which leads itself to, you know, incredible frustration. You know, you can only walk out on so many submerged logs uh, around these lakes and, and, you know, roll casting only gets you so far. So uh, we realized real quickly, if we were going to be into fly fishing and be successful at it, we probably need some kind of boat uh, to, to fish a lot of these hiking lakes. And, uh, about that time, I was I was starting college at Central uh, Washington University uh, on the east side of the Cascade Mountains here in here in Washington. And uh, in my freshman year of college, uh, you know, I brought my float tube with me, uh, and I just started to you know figure out that I needed to have some type of float tube uh, for these high mountain lakes. But I packed my float tube in with my neoprene waders a couple of times in the high lakes and realized real quickly that's a lot of crap to pack on your back uh, a number of miles uh, up to these high lakes. Um, so I only did that a couple of times and it was just ridiculously successful. Um, but by the time you get your fins, you know, you know, I was packing wading boots, uh, neoprene waders, which are super heavy. And, of course, my float tube, uh, tackle, launch, all that kind of stuff. It's a pretty big pack by the time you get all said and done. Um, but when I got to Central, uh, I got introduced to, to both fishing the Yakima River, and I was a neophyte angler at the time. I was 18 years old, and part of the reason I went to school here is it was, you know, just a few minutes from the Yakima River, and I'd always, you know, read about it in magazines. Uh, back then, there really was no internet, and... Uh, read about it in a magazine called Fishing and Hunting News, uh, which some of you that are, you know, anywhere between 40 and 60 years old probably remember that magazine if you lived in the Pacific Northwest. But it was a it was a paper print magazine. And, uh, man, it was it was awesome. It was pre-internet. It was really successful. And it was just, I man, I'd see pictures and hear about people catching these, you know, at the time, an 18-inch rainbow. 
An 18 inch rainbow back then is probably an 18 inch rainbow. An 18 inch rainbow now usually seems to be somewhere between 14 and 17 inches. Uh, but uh, all joking aside, I heard about how great it was. You know, fast forward, I you know come here to Central and start to learn to fish the river, which was a humiliating experience. I thought I was a pretty good fisherman fishing a lot of the smaller creeks near where I grew up. And uh, some of the high mountain lakes, um, you know, if I could get a fly to the trout, it was very successful in those scenarios. Come to the Akamoths, big western river, the trout are picky. So what, what I ended up doing when I first transitioned really into taking off with fly fishing uh, in, you know, in a western, let's just say a true western sense. And that is, you know, big rivers and, and uh, catch and, you know, bigger catch and release lakes uh, with trophy trout was... I ended up really gravitating towards lake fishing and I was doing it with a float tube back in those days because I didn't own a drift boat. So if the river was high at all, it became very tough to wade. But uh, I was able to to have great success float tube fishing in a lot of the, the, quality, uh, the quality lakes. Um, by quality, I mean that like with a capital Q, uh, lakes that are managed for uh, large average size trout, uh, in, in my area, which is Eastern Washington, I'd call them the Columbia seep lakes, uh, which in a sense, a lot of the reclamation or the irrigation, the, the massive scale of irrigation that's taken place in the Columbia river basin, um, has created some really interesting ecosystems that can grow big trout. And, uh, I was taking full advantage of that. I'll never forget the first time I was, had my float tube on my back and hiked out and looked over a bluff uh, onto a lake, my first time ever there. And uh, I had heard about it, and I would got some directions, and I got out my Washington State uh, Atlas and Gazetteer. Uh, anybody under 30 probably has no clue what that is. Uh, the other folks, give me a thumbs up or comment if you have a Gazetteer. Uh, and I would looked at the Gazetteer, figured out where to go on the map, and hiked into this lake, uh, which is a pretty well-known lake, and uh, looked over the bluff, and immediately I'm watching 17 to 20-inch fish swimming along the ledges and sipping damselfly, nymphs, and adults off the surface. And I was like, oh my God, I have died and gone to heaven. And that memory will forever be, that was over 20 years ago, it will forever be burned into my mind. The crazy thing is, trout are still trout. Lakes are still lakes, and those fish are still there. Not the exact fish, but the fishery is still there. Uh, but lakes somehow, I don't know why or how, but oh, I do know how, and I'll hypothesize as I go on here and talk about boats. But, you know, lakes used to be, you know, a do-it-yourself angler's mecca, and they've just gotten less trendy. And it's really unfortunate because there's a lot of public water lakes out there that provide awesome angling opportunities for fly fishermen. Um and you don't need a guide to do it. It's the best part about it. That's why I was so intrigued by it. Um, but anyway, I used I would hike into the, I hiked into this lake first time there. Had a hell of a time having success. But uh, eventually, kind of learned the ways. Uh, you know, learned how to properly switch between you know dry lines and dry flies to chronomids to leeches to swimming nymphs, uh, etc. And I started to have some really great success on those lakes. And uh, I could hike my float tube in there, Um, you know, uh, I could either park right at the lake or maybe I'd hike a mile or two to get to these lakes and uh, paddle all over the lake, man. I mean, I remember getting leg workouts in those lakes, um, kicking against the wind, uh, and I had the crappiest little float tube. It was a caddis. I bought it at the local Bimart. Most of you probably don't know what a Bimart is, but imagine like a poor, uh, like a, a more warehouse version of Walmart. Uh, I love Bimart, not getting down on it, but, but like it's a less flashy version of Walmart, same stuff, uh, different storefront. Anyway, uh, bought it at Bimart for like 40 bucks and it was like a truck tire inner tube. You know, you blow it up. I had a couple different versions. I had one with a truck tire inner tube that you could actually fill up with an air compressor. And then I had one you could blow up by mouth. And eventually I favored the, t- the internal tube chamber that I could blow up by mouth uh, just because you know, I'd have to huff and puff, but it was a little bit lighter weight and, uh, I could blow it up right there on the lake. Um, but originally, yeah, I just took my air compressor up to it, shoot it full of air, shove it in the trunk of my girlfriend's Ford Tempo, uh, which is a legit story. Um, I could just barely jam that thing in the trunk of the Ford Tempo. 
uh, and drive out to that lake. And uh, anyway, uh, would hike in these lakes, have great success, awesome freedom. Uh, you know, I could kick around different portions of the lake, you know. I'd probably be in there for about an hour or two, and then I'd have to take a leak, of course, and I'd, you know, paddle over to the shore and take, to go through the 15-minute process of getting out of my damn flow tube with the fins on and taking a pee. Um, but yeah, you get some bladder man. I would definitely exercise some bladder management, but I spent years just loving the flow tube fishing in all those lakes. I fished Lake Lenore for Lahontan cutthroat and caught fabulous fish there in my flow tube, uh, quail Lake, uh, beta Lake, dusty Lake, uh, Lake Lanise, a uh, Nunley, uh, Bobby Mary, um, didn't, didn't like those as much, but they had brown trout in them at the time, uh, so it was great. There, these lakes probably mean nothing to you uh, if you don't live if you live outside the Pacific Northwest. But there's tons more. Um, anyway, near where you live, I will guarantee you there's great public lake fishing uh, for both trout and bass on a fly rod. If you get yourself a float tube. Um, that float tube eventually got retired, uh, and it's kind of sad that it did. Um, what ended up happening uh, for me, kind of why I got out of lake fishing, is when I was in college, I I, I wasn't really ambitious to go guiding. I, I was a forest firefighter on what they took, call a hell attack crew, and so my summers were pretty busy. Um, I had a good job, and I was fighting forest fires and flying around in helicopters, and it was awesome. But um, about my second summer, I started to get a little bit itchy and uh what happened to me is a very unique story i'll just share kind of the short version of it and i think i've talked about it on another podcast but uh you know god often has god often has a plan for us and uh i got caught up in his plan i think because i was float tube fishing quite a bit and lake fishing and uh and I, I didn't fish the yakima river once the water got very high because i couldn't effectively wade fish it and I was down at a boat ramp one night, um, and I was going down there to just catch a little, little bit of the evening caddis hatch, and I literally had planned to, to take my float tube out and lake fish the next day. And uh, I was at a boat ramp in Ellensburg, and that's where I was going to do a quick walk-in and just fish like the last 30 minutes of daylight. And there was this guy and this gal, and, and they were having a really tough time getting their boat on the trailer safely because the current is crazy swift right there. And they they almost lost the boat. They're having trouble getting it out of the water. And and uh, and I saw that they probably needed some help. Most, I mean, there were other people just walking by. Anybody could have helped them. Any kind of extra hand, even if you didn't know to squat about boats, would have been helpful. But I... I trotted over there and offered to help and, and knowing full well that if I went and helped them, I'd end up chatting and I probably wouldn't get to fish that evening just because it's what you do. So I went over there and helped the, the folks get the boat on the trailer. And the guy was just like, oh my gosh, his name's Ted. And uh, Ted was like, oh my gosh, man, I, he's, I'm so, he was super grateful for the help. He's like, I was in a pinch there. He's like, I was just, you know, I didn't want to holler and ask anybody walking by for help. Um, you know, we're at a city park. There were certainly anybody could have helped at least just to hold the strap tight or something, um, or do a little bit of winching, but, um, he was grateful for the help and he said, Oh, you know, and I asked him a few questions about fishing and they hadn't caught any fish and, and I wasn't a great river fisherman at all. But, uh, anyway, he, uh, he said, no, we didn't try any of that, et cetera. And he goes, well, what are you doing tomorrow? He's like, we were planning on fishing again. And uh, the boat was brand new. It was a North River aluminum drift boat. And they were on their way home to uh, Sandpoint, Idaho with the boat and decided to fish the Acoma for a couple of days. And I said, ah, I was going to go lake fishing, uh, you know, with my float tube. And I had floated the river a couple of times is all um, and was confident enough to roll a boat on the river, uh, but not a nowhere proficient as a professional at all um, and at the time I was wet behind the ears still and uh he says well how would you like to go fishing you know with my gal and I tomorrow and uh you know keep in mind I'm like 19 years old and uh this fellow's about maybe uh, late 50s and uh, he's inviting me to go with him and his girlfriend and I'm thinking not exactly who I choose to spend my fishing day with but man any opportunity to get down the river in a drift boat would be great and so 
I said, you know, it, it was not, not a guiding arrangement or anything. It was just, hey, let's go fishing together. I mean, he's got the boat. I've got a little bit of knowledge, you know, not much, but more than he did. And uh, we said, okay, I'll meet you at Ringer Road tomorrow. Anyway, long and short of it is uh, I took him fishing the next day, and he was just very grateful and viewed me as a responsible young person. And uh, he just said, hey, how would you like to keep this boat on a long-term loan? He's like, I'm just going to leave it with you. And I was like, oh, my God, hallelujah. Are you joking? Uh, and uh, so from that day on, I mean, it's just a kind of a cosmic story how that he and I aligned and he let me borrow this boat. And that's really how I got most of – that's how I got my – completely how I got my start, you know, rowing boats and starting to run some trips. I mean, all the stars in the galaxy aligned that day. The fishing was incredible. I mean, fish were feeding everywhere. Uh Places I've never seen them feed since. And uh, so I got a hold of this boat. And it was an aluminum drift boat. Totally the wrong tool for the job for Owen Fly Anglers downstream. But man, it got me river transportation. I didn't even have a damn vehicle to tow it with. I had a lifted Suzuki Samurai at the time that I would just Jeep around in doing a bunch of Jeep and a big game hunting. And uh, so I didn't even have a vehicle capable of towing this thing. If you've ever owned a Suzuki, you know what I'm talking about. It's not towing anything. Uh, it can tow a Red Rider wagon. Those things are so underpowered. I don't think 1.3 liters was enough for the tires I had on that thing. Uh, anyway, I had to get my dad's 1970 uh, Ford, uh, 1974 Ford uh, firewood truck, two-wheel drive, mutters on the back, if you can picture that, and sideboards. And uh, I had to get my dad's firewood truck to tow this thing and brought it to college with me for a while. And uh, so now I had a truck and a boat, man. And uh, I was a fishing fool. And, and once I got that drift boat, I really turned my back to lake fishing, which is unfortunate. But I was really hungry for the learning curve of rowing people downstreams. And uh, I learned so much with that aluminum boat. And I would fish by myself most of the time. Uh, I had a couple of friends and roommates that we would go out and fish and have a great time and and uh, we'd get out and yuck it up. But I floated solo and uh, my my then girlfriend, now wife, would, would often just go pick me up. I would just tell her kind of where – we had, didn't even have cell phones at the time, I don't think. And I would just tell her where to be and when. She'd come get me in her that, – that old Ford Tempo that would just barely fit a float tube in the trunk – She'd come pick me up, and I would just float and get out and wade, and float and get out and wade, and float and get out and wade. And uh, that was really how I began to learn the river. And uh, it was funny because back then, fishing while floating was like a secondary strategy. Fishing, you know, pulling over on a good gravel bar, a good seam line, or a good side channel, that was plan A. And plan B was fishing while floating, and that is the exact opposite of like what I'll just call like, you know, I've used the word before, but it's kind of like the norm, the, you know, the modern paradigm is that you have a boat, you have to fish while you're floating and that's plan A. And I am here to tell you, you guys got to knock that off, you boat owners. That, that shouldn't be plan A for most of you. Um, so I got this aluminum boat, fished my brains out. Eventually, uh, my second season of fighting forest fires, you know, everything was on fire that summer. I made a ton of overtime, and, uh, you know, I used an overtime check and my first Visa card to buy a fiberglass boat. It was a hide, uh, hide drift boat, and uh, and bought that boat, and uh, be- just not because I wanted a better boat, but because my intention was to guide, and I wanted the right tool for the job um, to be a pro guide. Got my high drift boat and uh, and kind of the rest is history. Um, started guiding at the the summer right at the end of the summer of 2000, and uh, now we're going on 2020. So this will be 20 20 years approximately of rowing drift boats for money. And uh, so I kind of went through that transition and quit float tubing. Uh, float tube went in the attic. Eventually went. On you know for I think I sold it for fifteen bucks the yard sale um, you know but I'll be I'll be getting more float tubes here soon because my boys and I are going to be tearing up some high lakes and I think you know for the space to take up I think they're just such a wise thing to have uh, more on that later but you know I got into drift boats I've had a number I had a number of hide uh, drift boats um, they make a, a very very good drift boat they row really well um, I had hide high sides I've eventually gravitated towards a very small, high, low-profile boat. 
uh, used those for years. Uh, eventually found I was a little too hard on those uh, and uh, switched over to Clacka Crafts, which Clacks are, they, they're historically a more durable boat. Um, and uh, used all, Clacka Crafts are, you know, seem to row a little bit heavier on average than a Hyde. Um, that may not be true anymore. You know, Clack has done a lot with the bottoms of their boats and the geometry and the, the eddy versions and the head hunters, but uh, the point is I've gravitated towards a skiff for most of my fishing. Uh, they row fantastic. Uh, they handle a, a few waves. You can bail them out if you need to. Uh, but just regarding, I don't want to spend too much time on hard boats, but I've had pretty much everything that there is from high sides, uh, both in fiberglass and aluminum, to skiffs, to low pros. And, uh, you know, my choice rowability-wise is a headhunter skiff uh, from Clackercraft. Um, the way they row and hold for the kind of rowing that I do. Um, I do what's called performance rowing. And, you know, on the Yakima River during the summer, we have big, powerful, swift currents. It's not like technical whitewater. It is just a big, heavy, slick push. And you have got to get that boat slowed up and be on point if you want your anglers to get the best shots against the shoreline. I mean, we're talking short, precision casting, you know, setting that boat up exactly right to work with those big technical currents. Um, so I like a headhunter skiff for that, low in the wind. Uh, I, I've had anglers sitting down a lot more. Um, my next boat, I might get a pedestal seat in the back, so my, my the angler in back of my boat sits a little higher. Um, but uh, in my, my angler in front sits on a cooler. Love my headhunter skiff. I think they're stealthy. Um, I don't think they're for everybody. Um, in general, you know, just regarding hard boats and their place, I think there's, uh, I think a lot of people overbuy. I think a lot of people feel like they need a brand new boat. I think I see a lot of people spend, you know, seven, eight, ten, eleven thousand dollars or more on boats, um, and they just don't need that much boat or they don't use them enough. Um, I think there's probably a lot of people out there that are kind of on the fringe and thinking about, hey, that would be kind of fun to float a river. There are a bazillion aluminum drift boats, um, you know, that are kind of retired salmon and steelhead boats that will get you river transportation like I had when I started. You can pick some of those up really cheap. Not everybody has to have a Maserati. Um, you know, if you don't, if you barely know how to drive, what's the point in having a Maserati? You know, you can, you can get a clunker for a while and uh, get yourself some transportation, um, so I think there's an underutilized inventory of used boats out there for people that just want to float downstream, anchor the boat, and do some waiting. Um, and I would encourage you to think about that. If you thought about owning a drift boat, don't feel like you have to have the adipose skiff or the clack or whatever it is. You know, get a clunker, man, and you find yourself using it a lot like I was, uh, then, then you think about upgrading. But prove that you're going to use it 20 days a year um, or more. Um and, and then at that point, you think about getting a little bit better boat. Um, regarding just drift boats, I'm going to talk about rafts. I'm going to talk about canoes. I'm going to talk about watermasters, pontoon boats, all that kind of stuff. Um, so I am going to get to personal watercraft. But let me start out with like kind of what I call the team fishing um, component. That is like, hey, you're either loaded up in a uh, hard-sided drift boat uh, or you're loaded up in like a three-person raft. And I've had a ton of rafts. Um, I like rafts. Uh, I think that they're fantastic for utility. I can tell you some things I've learned about having rafts because I've had a bunch of different ones. Um, my first raft, uh, this was back in like 2002 or 2003 or something like that. It was, it was quite a ways back and I had a drift boat at the time. And then, um, another fishery had opened up. It was when the Met Howe River, uh, in North Central Washington, it's Columbia River tributary. It, it essentially reopened for steelhead. And uh, I started out and I went and waited it a couple of times. And, and those were, I mean, I know people talk about the glory days, but it was incredible. I mean, we were skating dry flies for steelhead and throwing a lot of, you know, it was basically where I learned, you know, to steelhead um, fish uh, there, there in the Grand Ronde back in, you know, the glory days. And we would catch a lot of steelhead swinging, you know, floating lines and damp flies, steelhead boil, you know, boil striking on flies just under the surface on swung flies. It was incredible. And uh, 
I, I, I really felt like I was like, man, if I had a raft, I could get into a ton of good water and be on fresh fish all the time. And we were guiding our anglers uh, when it first opened exclusively on foot. And it's pretty technical wading. It's pretty chunky. And so you'd hike your angler into a run and, uh, you know, you'd fish the run and you can only get a handful a day because people simply couldn't move fast enough. Um, in retrospect, people should have been, or I should have been providing trekking poles so people could hike with two a trekking pole in each hand from run to run um, would have been a handy tool for for anglers, but um, that's beside the point. Point is, I ended up with this raft, and I went and bought it from a river rafting company. And uh, I still remember the gal said that was selling to me, "Oh yeah, it it's in. It looks like it's in rough shape, but it doesn't leak." And uh, of course, it was a cash deal. I bought it for four hundred bucks. It was a yellow Achilles raft. And was what was called a bucket boat, which means it didn't self-bail. So any water that got in it stayed in it until you bailed it out. Uh, and also, if somebody spilled a beer or a bag of chips, that also stayed in the bottom, which is what sucks about bucket boats. Becomes just a, it's like a guide cesspool in there. And uh, so it was a bucket boat, but what I did do, which was wise, I bought a really nice NRS-style frame. The, the frames haven't changed much from, you know, all those years ago to today. It was an aluminum, uh, you know, style frame. It's quite modular. You can make modifications to it. I got an NRS, a really nice frame, a really crappy boat. And uh, and then I used my oars off my drift boat, so I had pretty good oars. And I got this raft, and I started floating for steelhead and just killing it. We were having just awesome trips. I had to pump the boat up a couple times today, and that was when I started guiding steelhead on the Medhow and the Klickitat and kind of in between, and I would use it on the Yakima River a little bit in the fall because we could carry the boats into rough launches. So uh, eventually I upgraded to a 13-foot NRS Otter. Um, that was just a kick-ass boat. They still make that boat today, I believe, um, but it was kind of their upper-middle class raft. They, they historically, NRS has made the Expedition Series the otter, and then they made some real basic stuff too. But a 13-foot raft with three people in it, um, the utility offers is great. And I'm just going to kind of, if you're contemplating getting a raft, I'm just going to weigh out a series of pros and cons. Um, the pros are that the rafts are very forgiving. Um, you're not going to sink them. You're not going to crash them. They can be flipped over, you know, uh, in the event you run right into a log jam. Logs are scary. Rocks are not. Rocks tend to push you around them. Logs tend to seat you right up on them like a big sweeper type log or strainer. Uh, you know, and then the raft gets strained out. Rafts tacoed around the log. Um, tough to get it back. But rafts are pretty dang safe. They're forgiving. Pretty tough to pump, you know, puncture. Uh, I always tell people to equate it to like a, a, a truck tire or a car tire. You know, car tires are pretty tough. They can be punctured, but they're pretty durable. Rafts are pretty durable depending on the material. Get a self-baler. I can't recommend a bucket boat at all. Um, you know, get one that self-bails. We sell a boat, a 13-foot air tributary uh, system at Red's, pre-packaged deal. You can look at it. Uh, try to remember to put a link to it in the video description. That's the most affordable option. We run those a lot because they are affordable. They come with a great frame system. And uh, if you're not on an expedition and you take good care of it, the, the tributaries style boats are fantastic. Um, I think it's a tributary outlaw that we're currently selling made by air a a I R E. And uh, we ship those free. We sell a lot of those to people who want a three person boat, but the upsides are, yeah, it's durable. Um, you can, you can portage them. Uh, if you're thinking about utilizing rough launches where you might have to carry and get access to some places that other people won't, uh, ditch the standing floors. Don't worry about the standing floors. Just fish sitting down. Keep everything light, and you don't have to use an anchor uh, on those systems if you're going to be portaging it or sliding it down rough places. Just drag it up on the beach when you're, you're pulling over to wade fish. Um, rafts do not row uh, half as good as a, a good drift boat, you know, like a flat bottom drift boat. Uh, they row not as good as an, a big aluminum drift boat either. So, you know, rafts are not nimble and maneuverable, but they are good, safe transportation. Uh, I, of course, when I got my first raft, I didn't have a raft specific trailer. So I, I tried to, mo I modified my drift boat trailer and that sucked. That was a crappy deal. I couldn't winch it up onto the trailer. I can't encourage you enough. If you get a raft that's bigger than 12 feet, get 
a good flat bed trailer. Don't modify your landscaping trailer, any of that crap. Get a trailer with a roller on the back. Rafts are soggy, they're heavy, and they're not rigid. And they're actually tougher to trailer than drift boats. Because they flex when they come up over that roller. They don't teeter themselves and leverage themselves up onto the trailer. Get a good raft trailer. Um, get one with a rolling pin in the back. Uh, you can get them at like American Whitewater Trailer. Go to a trailer company and figure it out. Um, you know, but get a trailer for them. I've seen people try to break the frames down, put them on top of their Suburban and all that kind of junk. And it really is impractical. It's pre- it becomes like this preventative it's like you, you, the first year, you're like, oh, it's no big deal. We'll just deflate the raft and we'll do this. But those 13-footers, it just isn't practical at all. Plan to have a trailer into conversation there. I've seen people try to do it otherwise, and they just don't use the raft nearly enough. Um, the only exception to that is if you're getting it to fly in and float out, which is like you know who you are. You probably don't need to listen to this podcast about boats. Say you're going to do a moose hunt, caribou hunt, a fishing trip, or whatever the hell you're doing. And you're going to fly in a raft, and then you're going to float it out. That's the only circumstance I can think where you don't need a trailer. (laughs) For the rest of us schmucks fishing the regular streams, you have to have a trailer for a 13-foot raft. So, drip boat rows way better. Fish is way better on the move. Uh, You know, rafts, you know, if you're going to use rough launches, portage, whitewater, that kind of stuff, uh, that's fine. Uh, You know, we can have another conversation later about just maintenance and stuff like that but make sure you don't run those pontoons super tight uh i did have a pontoon blow up on me one time because it was a suit i overinflated it and then it got super hot that day got to like 106 and uh i thought because the raft was sitting partially in the water it wouldn't expand too much and i literally imploded an entire pontoon and had to row out with you know two of the three pontoons inflated it was crazy uh anyway uh regarding rafts they're a good idea um as we get into like smaller devices i would encourage you like if you have not utilized boats for your fly fishing i don't care if it's lakes rivers or whatever you really gotta think about doing it um it's safe it's easy we're going to be hosting uh classes on personal fishing personal watercraft uh i'll probably this week sometime I'll have all the dates up on the calendar and you can go to our website under fly fishing classes. I'll try to put a link in the video or the podcast description and get in one of our classes or single, single pontoon boat classes. And, uh, we'll teach you how to row personal watercraft and use it. Uh, we teach rowing lessons all the time in big in, in the rowing physics are the same, whether you're in a drift boat, uh, or a single personal watercraft, like a pontoon boat or water master, the, the physics and principles of, of navigating a river with a rowing frame, a proper rowing frame, not a paddle. Uh, a paddle does not have an oar lock. It's just a paddle. Um, the physics are the same. So you can learn on a big boat and then go out with a small boat. It's a great way to do it. Uh, we do rowing lessons every day. Uh, or they're available every day. You just book it for uh, one or two people. Same price. I think it's 300 bucks. Uh, go out for half a day with the instructor, get proficient on the sticks. But when it comes to personal watercraft, if you haven't done it, I really think you need to consider it if you want to. And this isn't not just talking about trout fishing on a big river. I'm talking about trout fishing in lakes. I'm talking about bass fishing in lakes. I'm talking about panfish fishing in lakes. You can catch tarpon in float tubes. I've seen it done. A personal watercraft is going to get you places uh, that... Are going to make you, they're going to give you better access to better water, uh, plain and simple, and you're going to get out more. So uh, I would really consider it. But when it comes to personal watercraft, I mean, it's broken down into like several categories. I mean, you got float tubes, which are practical uh, almost exclusively on still waters. Um, so, you know, you're going to utilize fins with a float tube. We sell one called a fish cat. Uh, on our website, we sell one model. It's like 320 bucks. It's a killer flow tube. It's awesome. It's going to get you into places. You can backpack them in, uh, to remote locations. It's extremely light. You can see all the specs, um, link in the description. Uh, and flow tube is great for that. If you're thinking you're going to be on a river, uh, you're going to think about several options. I mean, you could go like old school and you could be thinking about a canoe. Um, 
Canoes are awesome. You're not going to fish while you're moving, but man, I see people do it all the time. Canoe is killer at a lake because you can go fast. You can go a long ways across a lake uh, and fish either from shore on a good spot uh, or fish out of the canoe. Um, it works best if you got a partner for that so somebody can keep the boat oriented properly. But canoes are a good option. Don't overlook that. Uh, and I'm going to go from kind of you know real basic or rudimentary to a little bit more advanced. So the other thing is, why not just go grab a raft at Walmart? Uh, just whatever the hell you do, do not throw it on the side of the dumpster when you get to your takeout. I I crap all the time during the summer with the beer tubers that flow down. But seriously, Walmart raft. Uh, get a paddle or two. Get a Walmart raft. Take care of it. Bring a life jacket by all means because it probably will leak at some point. But if you're if you just want to get down a river on a hot summer day and pull over to a few gravel bars and fish side channels, what the heck is stopping you from grabbing a, a fifty or sixty dollar raft at Walmart? Get a paddler, get one paddle, and go down and find a gravel bar. Pull that raft up on the beach, wade fish a side channel, do some nymphing on a gravel bar, fish an inside seam. It's a great way to do it. Figure out if you like it, and if you're like, oh my god, this is awesome, but the boat sucks. And now it's starting to leak. I'm going to think about upgrading. It's a great way to test the water. Um, use, them in, use them in a lake. Use them in ponds. Work great. Don't, don't rule out. You know, Price should not prohibit you from getting into this. Eventually, you're going to buy good stuff. I promise you that. Uh, but get the Walmart raft. Borrow a canoe from your Uncle Larry. Get a Walmart raft. Um, the other thing is pick up a pontoon boat or flow tube on Craigslist, Facebook Marketplace. Get some used stuff. Uh, get yourself out there. Uh, make sure you tie your fins tight um, uh, on the float tube. Uh, but tie your fins tight, lace up, kick your ass across that lake, and go fishing in a float tube. If you've not had that experience, it's super fun. Um, really suggest that you do it. Um, get a, you know, I'll jump into kind of like so. The, the canoe and the Walmart raft and the flow tube are like non-orlock devices. Um, they're going to be limited on your ability to like travel across a lake and navigate, you know, uh, down a, maybe a more technical stream. The next tier is going to be like a personal watercraft with orlocks, and that's going to be your traditional like pontoon style boat and your uh, your watermaster style boat. Uh, and the watermaster style boat, we sell two models. Uh, so, uh, let me start with pontoon boat because I'm going to kind of go from like easiest, most accessible entry point on price to a little bit higher and kind of weigh out pros and cons. So pontoon boats, there's an excessive amount of these things available. There was like this over the last like, uh, it must have started like 15 years ago, about 15 years ago, these things were damn popular. There was kind of a newer idea. It was an, it was the lake, lake fishing was still the rage. Like do it yourself. Lake fishing was really popular. There was a lot of pontoon boats produced. You could buy the dang things at Costco. And uh, a lot of people are buying these, you know, pontoon boats at Dick's Sporting Goods and Costco and Sportco and Walmart and whatever. And there's still a lot of those in used circulation. Go buy a used pontoon boat. Um, you know, search Craigslist, go Facebook Marketplace. They're cost prohibitive to ship typically, so you kind of have to get like a local source for it. But get a pontoon boat. And, uh, you know, get yourself some access. Pontoon boats, they can go on the roof of an SUV. They work fine in the back of a pickup truck. They deflate pretty good. You can put them inside the back of a Suburban. Um, so pontoon boats are pretty handy because you have oars and you're up, your feet are up out of the water and you can row and, and handle very technical water um, as far as your ability to, to row safely you can row a long ways across a lake or, you know, and fish a still water. Um, I've used pontoon boats a handful of times in lakes. And what I like to do is I like to row upwind at the beginning of the day. And I'll row to the up the upwind end of the lake. And I can usually get underneath the wind. It's nice and calm. And then I'll use my fins in a pontoon boat on my way back down. And I, and I will drift with the wind, often working ledges or shorelines. And the fins are just to keep me... Uh, oriented in my desired fishing position, but I don't really travel with the fins. Pontoon boats are awesome for that, and you can pick them up for a song. 
Um, somebody's always looking to clean out their garage. So think about that from a pontoon boat standpoint. And they do row really well, a good one. I mean, pontoon boats come from everything from absolute crap to like 2000 bucks. I mean, they can be, they can be, you can get hit or miss on the pontoon boat thing. But most of them tend to skim across a lake pretty efficiently because of the way the pontoon boats are parallel and set up. They don't plow water really. Um, and uh, just make sure you got pretty sturdy oars before you go, you know, heaving on the oars. Like I said, they, they come from anywhere from crap to really great. But just get one, get into it. You can handle rivers, you can handle lakes, they're easy to transport. I think you know, pontoon boats are absolutely great. Um, a little anchor system is nice for pontoon boats for just ditching them on the shoreline. Um, anchors are handy for lakes, I would say, but you got to be careful you don't blow around in circles. Um, you know, so I could take or leave anchors on pontoon boats. Um, they're handy a little bit, but don't feel like it's a necessity. In general, I dislike anchors on any kind of personal watercraft. I think you just need to learn to survive without them, but that's that's one man's opinion. Regarding carrying pontoon boats, they, they make some little cart extensions so that you can roll them like a, like a wheelbarrow, um, which is kind of handy and cool. Um, so think about that if you're going to do some walk-in access where you have like an old road where there's gated access, you're going to go a ways. That wheel can get you uh, some really good access. Uh, and they also make some backpacks systems for these for the smaller pontoon boats. So you'll have to take a look at that, um, how to transport those things into walk-in areas. Uh, so pontoon boats are great from that standpoint. Um, you tend pontoon boats don't tend to handle as well with fins as like a watermaster boat or a scout, which I'm going to talk about um, last as far as my my boat type. Um, and I'm looking at my notes here. I, I'm going to jump back to this at the end. Uh, there, there is a type of boat that I didn't talk about. And uh, in attempting to do a great and organized job here, I did write down some notes. But that's going to be two-person fishing crafts. And I'll talk about those last, I guess. So if you're wondering about that, uh, we'll come back to it in a minute. But uh, yeah, spontoon boats have their pros and cons. The cons is that they don't, they have a frame. Let me just start with the total cons. So they have a frame. They're heavy. They're not compactable. They can't be broken down. And in order to haul them in somewhere, you really need to probably need a wheel or a cart system, which requires a two-track road. Okay, those are the those are the cons. Um, the other type of boat that is essentially a one-person watercraft that fits into the same rough category, although you know it is superior. I'm just going to go ahead and say it for for any application we're going to use on a river. Lakes Aside is a watermaster style boat, and I'll also roll the Outcast Scout into this category. And uh, the Watermaster is basically like it's, you can see I've done a bunch of videos on it. You probably know what it is, and I, I can't tell you enough. Like, I mean, I just end this podcast by saying if you're going to go fishing, get a Watermaster, and that's it. I mean, they're that effective. Um, but the cool thing about the Watermaster is like fundamentally, it's a frameless device that still gives you the ability to like pull oars. Now, why is frameless good? Frameless is good because it breaks down into a backpackable size bag. In fact, the backpack and the, the bag is included with the purchase of this thing. So you could deflate the boat, roll it up, put it in its storage bag, shove the oars in there, shove the fins in there if you're going to use them, and, and your pump you know, foot pump packs down small. This all fits in its storage bag. Dude, you throw that on your back and you hike into wherever you're going. The whole thing weighs like 40 pounds. Uh, the whole, so maybe at most with all your, your junk, uh, you're carrying 50 pounds. And if you can carry 50 pounds a short distance, you're going to get access to some places that other people simply aren't going to get their pontoon boats. They're not going to get their drift boats. They're not going to get their big rafts or their or grandpa's canoe. So the Watermaster allows you to be really, really sneaky and mobile. Uh, in addition, it stores awesome in the trunk of your girlfriend's Ford Tempo, and it doesn't take up a crap load of space in your garage, so your wife's going to be, or your girlfriend or whatever, your wife's going to be stoked about that, that it doesn't take up a whole bunch of space. And so you could store two Watermasters in a smaller space than you can store one pontoon boat. And uh, the Watermaster, you can have it, you know, 
fully assembled in 10 minutes, tops, from the time you roll it out of the trunk of your car. Um, so it's great. It's extremely high-quality craftsmanship, and it allows you to float down river, put your feet, put your skids down, put your feet down in the shallows, and wade while standing right in the boat, which provides an element of comfort, safety, and efficiency. You don't have to anchor it. You don't have to beach it. It stays right on your legs, not like a float tube. You're not wedged in to like an oversized set of underwear. You're just standing on the ground, and the boat itself is empty, and so you just put your feet down. So if you're having a hard time picturing that, but I just wade fish, and then I got a place to set my... I've got my tackle, I've got my lunch, I've got my extra rod all right there. So if I decide I'm going to dry fly this, great. I throw my dry fly through there with my dry fly rod. And if I'm going to nymph it next, then I have my nymph rod sitting right there. I just grab my nymph rod and it's like deadly. The Watermaster game is so damn effective. I can't tell you how much better it is than, than the other crafts. You, you, you have to try it for yourself. So the Watermaster is kind of like, it the it it's the it's the best of the best when it comes to personal watercrafts. The downside is you got to pay for it. Um, there are imitations out there. Um, we sell the finest imitation, in my opinion, and that is the the Outcast Scout. the The craftsmanship of the Watermaster, the reputation, customer satisfaction, the ore system, the accessories built for it. Uh, Watermaster is just. It's more expensive, but it outsells everything based on word of mouth and reputation like 10 to 1. I mean, I could go look at our books and get the exact, and I'm not saying the other products are bad products. It's just the customer satisfaction, like the reviews and the word of mouth testimony from, you know, folks telling other folks like, hey, I love my Watermaster. It just, they sell themselves. I mean, I, we've never really pushed them that hard, but I think that, as I watch the fishing community, I think there's a huge void right now of people getting their own boats. People are doing a hell of a lot of guided fishing, and there's not a lot of people using personal watercraft um, or aluminum drift boats. <laughs> uh, you know, people are either going with guides or trying to be like guides, uh, which is a dangerous concept. Um, but the Watermaster system is great. It doesn't row across a large, you know, portion of still water like a pontoon, like a good pontoon boat. It rows about like a crappy pontoon boat with others undersized soft pontoons. Um, it, it'll outrow a, a crappy pontoon boat. But uh, once you're set up and you are fishing in a lake, uh, I, I feel like the way the seat is positioned uh, and the way you can go from oars to fins and lock your oars out of the way, the watermaster's far better once you're fishing um, as far as just being able to control it. Uh, there's some there's some great accessories also for lake fishing. There's rod holders and that kind of junk. So you can have your sink tip rod and your, you know, in, in the rod holder and this and that. There's some great accessories. Watermasters just kill it on lakes. Um, so they're a great product. Um, the the one we sell that that is like, I don't, want, I don't know if it's an imitation, but it kind of is considered imitation, but is like the Outcast Scout is a great, you know, it has a pretty decent oar system. You can row it, you can fin it, it'll, it'll stay hooked on your body when you're wade fishing. So you can just put your skids down, stand up, you know, in, a, in knee deep water, the boat stays on you, you, you grab your rod, you, you, you fish it through, and then when you're ready to move on, you just plop your butt back down in the seat and keep floating. That's an Outcast Scout. Now, I think those are somewhere between six or seven hundred bucks. And, uh, the Watermaster started about 1600 and like I said, the satisfaction of the Watermaster is so high that it's damn near ludicrous that we sell that many more of them because, it, you know, our other sales, like if it were fly rods and we had one really good fly rod and one kind of, you know, if you had good, better, and best, you know, we don't sell 10 times better or the best than we do the good, um, but we sell 10 times better or the best when it comes to Watermaster. So, uh Really consider it. Look at all your options. Uh, you know, if you don't have anything right now, the whole point of this podcast is you need to get yourself in some type of floating device and help evaluate what you enjoy doing. And uh, people that are passionate about it, they always end up upgrading um, to what they need uh, or want. But I want you to get your feet wet um, and get in get into one of these boats. 
So that's kind of the summary of the Watermaster. Check out some of the videos and stuff done on it. You know, email me, joe at redsflyshop.com if you have questions on the Watermaster boats or any of the questions on the podcast. And uh, do my best to, to, to get back to you as quick as I can and, and help make any of this easy. Uh, we rent Watermasters. You can take them out for a day and float the Yakima Canyon, rent them. Like 110 bucks, it's a steal. Uh, we include a shuttle for that. So we drive you up, drop you off, you float all day, bring the Watermaster float into Reds when you get done. Um, it's a great program, but come rent the Watermaster. Check it out, try it out, um, and uh, and see how it works for you. The other thing is if you live outside the Northwest, maybe you live in the Midwest or something like that, I we have people who do this fairly regularly, but buy a Watermaster you know, and say, hey, I want to pick it up at Reds. Come out here for a trip. Use the Watermaster for three, four days of fishing. We'll put it together for you. You know, we have shuttle service available. Stay in the area, camp, whatever. And then when you go to go home, we'll ship it for free for you. You buy it, come use it. We'll, you will put it away. We'll ship it home for free. You can fly back, make a trip out of this. Um, I don't think that's a, a bad concept at all. Um the last thing, last two things I'm going to talk about is two person, two person systems. So uh, there's a lot of like two person pontoon systems that I've seen over the years. We've not really sold any uh, with effectiveness. They just ne- they never really got trendy. I think by the time you have two people in the boat, you know, people are like, ah, just get a drift boat or a raft. But there are two products um, that seem to be pretty popular right now. Um, one of them is uh, a flycraft. Um, you know, if you've been on social media or anything like that, the Flycraft is kind of a longer, narrower, uh, you know, system uh, where you've got a rower and then you got an angler in the front. And Flycrafts are, they have some great marketing, some great media. Uh, I don't have anything negative to say about them. I know a lot of people like their Flycrafts. We just, we don't sell them. Uh, we sell a different product. We sell a Watermaster Bruin. Um, uh, which is a two-person boat. So it's a souped-up version of the Watermaster Kodiak, and it has a um, a frame system in it, uh, you know, quite similar to the NRS frame that you might be picturing on uh, a larger raft, and it's set up for two people. And that Bruin's a great way uh, to fish the river if you know you're going to be two-on-one, uh, or two-in-one boat. Yeah, two-on-one, I guess. Uh, it'd be a way to describe that. So if you're going to fish two, two, in a, two in a boat, all the time. Watermaster Bruin is something to consider. Um, I think you lose a little bit of the packability and the agility, but you can still put it in the back of a pickup. Reasonably put it in the back of a pickup. So I think it really fills the void on getting a boat that you don't have to have a trailer that you can fish two to one with good effectiveness. And they're damn sneaky. I mean, you can get real close to the fish. You can prowl along the shoreline. And they're a great boat for rivers. Uh, I wouldn't take them on a big windy lake. Um, they wouldn't be my first choice there. But the guys down on Pyramid Lake have been killing it with the Watermaster Bruin. Um, I just think that, uh, you know, I, I want to make sure that when you get on those lakes, you realize that those rafts don't roll like a pram or a boat uh, or even a pontoon boat. They don't skim quite as well. But Watermaster Bruin's a great choice. It's a good option for uh Somebody who wants to eliminate the need of a trailer, it's a pretty quick setup time, either has a you know a suburban or a, like a full-size SUV uh, and wants to be able to row for their fishing partner or significant other and uh, wants a good quality product, that Bruin uh, is a super good choice. Uh, so at the end of the podcast, okay, I don't know if this is a new thing, but this is where you get my rants. So I'm going to rant today anyway. And... I've got to tell you, like, one thing that drives me absolutely insane, and in, I'm literally looking at the river right now. Like, I watch people flow by. I watched a boat go by a few minutes ago. Uh, we have a very unique location. We have eight miles of Blue Ribbon Canyon below my office right here, and we have about 60 miles above it. I see a lot of fishing. People who own boats have got to quit trying to fish just like guides. I am telling you, do not try just because you had success with the guide or you've heard about it or even the kid, the guys in the shop, they're going to say, I've had success doing this. And that's a true testimonial. They're going to give you good advice. They're not you. You don't roll like them. 
imitating a guide and saying, okay, well, we, we fish this and we're going to fish along and we're going to do a 10 mile float today. We're going to float. You know how many miles that is? You're going to float by 14,000 trout in 10 miles. How many would you like to catch or do you need to catch? What a dozen? Why do you, why, why float 10 miles in order to do it? What ends up happening is boats are hard to handle. Currents mix. Um, you know, there's wind, there's all these elements at bay. And if the rowing isn't set up perfect, it's really tough to get a perfect drift. I mean, getting a perfect drift is hard enough when you're standing still on foot, let alone when you have an amateur rower at the helm navigating you downstream at the wrong speed on the wrong side of the river, going faster than your strike indicator or your dry fly, because they think that they're doing it like the guide, but they're not. Trust me, when I go fishing, when I'm being rowed downstream, I will never... I'm telling you, I will never, unless it's a rowing lesson, I won't fish with an amateur. I won't let them row me. I know what a profound impact the control of the boat has on our success, and I would personally just rather handle the boat. It makes a huge difference. That doesn't mean I'm sorry to say you 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 should go row for each other. You should have fun. You may not have the same skills as a, a, a guide that's seasoned and in shape and knows exactly how to feather that throttle to help you get the right drift, Okay. Go ahead, go have fun. I'm not getting down on that. I love the do-it-yourself passion. I've made a career out of helping do-it-yourself anglers. You know, guiding is just one of the things that we do. I'm not trying to convince everybody to go with a guide. I don't think you should. I think you should do mostly do-it-yourself fishing, and I think you should do a guide once in a while to have some fun and play. It's kind of like skiing with. A, it's kind of like going hella skiing and skiing with a really great skier or a guide. Do it every now and then to pick up some tricks and tips, but don't do it every time. You got to struggle. You shouldn't try to imitate the guides. We historically, we take a lot of anglers with mixed skill sets. We might have an expert angler and they brought their first time beginner, uh, spouse, child, newbie, guy from the office. Maybe it's a business trip and you got one guy, a lot of skill, one guy with no skill. Guides tend to, to manage trips to maximize, maximize their uh, their ability to simply cover water and find aggressive trout. We know the seam lines. We know that if we row a certain way with strike indicators, dry flies, or whatever, we can find enough aggressive trout in 10 miles that we can make it pretty easy for a less experienced angler. That doesn't mean to say we have we absolutely have the skills to stop and trout spay, Euro nymph, wade fish, or whatever. But generally speaking, we're, we're fishing exclusively for a handful of aggressive fish, and we're going to cover a tremendous amount of water to do so. We don't tend to help anglers gain a lot of skill on the average guide trip. We do that in our specialty classes. We do that when anglers come with a certain agenda, and they say, I want to do X. If they say, I want to streamer fish today, I want to throw... Heavy streamers on a floating line against the shore and target bigger fish, and I want to get better at it. Absolutely. Our guides will be all over that all day. If people want to fish just dries, our guides are over that all day. If they want to go drink beer and have a good time with their friend, we're probably going to target the aggressive fish over the course of 10 miles. The struggle is, or the, the, the downside of that is, when people try to do the same thing, they don't tend to fine-tune their skills. Like I said, it's hard enough to get a good presentation when you're standing in a riffle or standing on a seam line, let alone do it when you've got a mixed group of amateurs rowing the boat. I would just encourage you guys, think about stopping the boat and wade fishing a little bit more than you already are. I really think that there's, uh, I watch every day, I watch people float downstream, I'm like, why don't they just stop on that riffle and learn to eddy up? It takes a little bit more rowing skill to tuck the boat safely into a couple of those little creases along the bank. But then you get out of the boat, you walk back up 40 feet, fish that inside seam behind the rock pile, do some Euro nymphing, throw a lightweight nymph rig, and get 20 casts. Think about this. Please, think about this. Would you rather have 20 casts over a good-looking seam line or one glancing shot from a moving boat as you drift by? Tell me. I would rather get 20 good shots standing on solid ground. The, the, the counter to this is when you start thinking about using personal watercrafts, and I'd mentioned that, you know, as my sons are getting, my, my daughter is not really that into fishing. 
She likes to hunt, ride horses, downhill ski, and barrel race. She's got enough stuff to do. I'm not going to make her fish. Uh, my boys are fishing fanatics. And as we start to go together, rather than me, rather than dad, just mark my words here. I'm, I want them to become the best anglers they can be, and they're already pretty damn good at 13 and 11. I want them to be the best fishermen they can be. They get nothing out of having dad row them right up alongside the fish and have them put a 15 or 20 foot cast in behind a rock pile while I row for them. They get nothing out of that. You know what? They get fun. They get a good picture of a big trout, but they don't, they're not gaining skill, knowledge, river savvy. So my boys fished. I mean, I do it. I did it yesterday with them. They fish independently. I mean, I take them wade fishing. I take them uh, when we do go in boats. I will still row for them. I'm not an asshole dad. I'll still row for them, but I want them to succeed, and they feel better about it. They're more confident. They, they gain more satisfaction about it when they have skin in the game, and they get to make their own decisions. And part of that is I do let them throw a lot of spinning tackle, um, but they're also very capable fly anglers. And I do that by trying to be let them be independent. We fish a lot of lakes. We do fish the river here. Um, taught my older son to Euro Nymph this last year so that I want him to have a skill that he can do on foot. So my goal for this year is I'm going to train them how to row their own little personal watercrafts. And so that when we go fishing uh, as, a, as, a, as a team, I can, pull, I can say, hey, follow me downstream. I'm going to pull into a little eddy. He's going to pull into a little eddy. And we'll, you know, we'll both fish this riffle out of our boats. He's got his space, I've got my space, and that is going to be good for them learning their skills. So, you know, trying to fish, throwing 20-foot casts against the shoreline from a moving boat, please expand a little bit and uh, and start doing a little bit more wade fishing. Leave the boat at home and consider personal watercraft. Um, maybe you do that instead of a few guided trips this year. You buy a Watermaster boat and do it yourself. So, anyway, that's my rant. I probably left some stuff out. Email me, joe at redsflyshop.com, with any questions uh, that you have about boats in general. Um, I will post some links uh, in the video description uh, that are handy, and uh, we'd love to get you out there and help make you a better angler. That's the entire point of this podcast, so see you out there.